Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hackett has the ball. Trojans in transition. Penrose is alone. They get it to Penrose for the three. Welcome to Believe in USC Basketball, everybody. My name is Aiden Berg, and today I am joined by my co-host, Christopher Penrose. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, it, USC Basketball is coming off of two pretty big and important wins, I would say, for, for the team for this, uh, for this season. And heading into another very important game that we are going to be talking about on this show today, we're going to hit it all. And let's start off with last night, uh, w- while we're recording this on uh, on Wednesday, but it's going out on Thursday morning. And so last night, USC did end up beating Stanford 72 to 66. Big game, obviously, from Evan Mobley, as we've kind of come to expect from him with 23 points, 11 rebounds, uh, some turnover issues at times during that game. I think that that was kind of uh, a problem for both teams during during this game, for sure. And honestly, Stanford's turnovers probably ended up being a, a huge reason why USC was able to stay in this game for how much they struggled offensively. But uh, Chris, when you look back at at this game, what kind of stands out to you about maybe USC and, and how they matched up with Stanford? Yeah, well, let's set the table with Stanford. I mean, Stanford has been missing three of their better players for the last uh, three, now four games playing against USC. No Dejon Davis, no Bryce Wills, and no Zaire Williams. And so to see how that team has really overcome that adversity and have players like you know O'Connell um, really kind of step up uh, it's, it's, it's amazing that they were able to go two and three in those first three games, um, without, without their starters. And, you know, they have some big wins. They're the only team to beat UCLA in the conference. Right. They beat Arizona and then they played Arizona state down to the last few minutes. Uh, and those are three really tough teams. And at, for the Trojans coming into a game like that, where, you know, your opponent is going to be missing three starters. Sometimes you don't have, uh, kind of like the, the mentality that, that you know, just go in and kill mentality that you would usually have against a team like Stanford, especially playing uh, their first game at Maples Pavilion this season. Uh, so you knew that Stanford was going to be jacked up, finally being able to play a home game, even though there's nobody in the stands, but being in their own arena, uh, you knew they were going to be, you know, ready to go. And it was pretty apparent in the beginning of that game that Stanford came out with energy. They came out with excitement and the Trojans really lacked uh, a lot of energy on defense. Stanford leads the conference in turnovers. And, you know, if you're USC, you're expecting to really push them to 15, 16, 17 turnovers and really kind of separate yourself in that game. Uh, although Stanford turned the ball over early, so did the Trojans. I think they had six turnovers in the first four minutes of the game. Um, and that really helped Stanford get that lead early in that first half. And then their best player, Oscar Da Silva, got in foul trouble. He only played the first seven minutes of the game, and Stanford was able to keep him out for almost the entire rest of the first half because they consistently had an eight, nine, ten point lead. And that was pretty frustrating to watch in the first half. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it was a, a typical, uh, basically what we've come to expect from USC kind of performance, right? They struggled, like you said, coming out in, in, in the first half and then ended up turning it on a, a fair amount in the second half. You could just look at the 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 half splits. They were they were down 35 to 32 at halftime. 
but then they won the second half 40 to 31. I think I saw a statistic during the game that USC is maybe the best team in the Pac-12 in, in terms of second half point differential. Um, and so that shows that this is a team that really does end up coming on when the game is getting down to those big minutes. Now, you would prefer if, if you're like a great team to just kind of dominate all the way through. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but sometimes that's, that's just not how it, how it ends up going. And if I'm, if I'm going to be good in one half or the other, I think I would probably prefer to be good in the second half. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, a lot of things went Stanford's way in that first half, right? O'Connell who, whose season high was 14 points. He hit that in the first half, Mm -hmm. uh, Stanford, ranks last in the Pac-12 and made three-pointers and three-point attempts. They averaged five three-point makes a game. I'll hit that in the first half. And SC went two of 10 from the three-point line. And again, the biggest issue for the Trojans, in my opinion, continues to be free throws. Isaiah Mobley, I, I, I just, I can't figure it out. He had a great opportunity in the first half. He gets fouled on a three-point shot. The ability to cut the lead in half for Stanford and he misses all three. He can't even get one. And if you watch towards the end of the game, you know when when it came time to make free throws, Enfield had to pull him out as soon mm-hmm. as soon as you know Stanford had a couple fouls to give. He pulled Isaiah Mobley out and put in uh, Isaiah White because because he just he had to. Um, you can't risk that. And to have a captain not be able to make free throws and to have no captains on the floor at the end of the game in a pressure situation like that. That can't happen. Um, and that was also, you know, you look at the second half, Ethan Anderson didn't really get any minutes in the second half. And, you know, from what I saw, it looked like Coach Enfield really challenged Taj Edie on the defensive end and said, hey, you can't let O'Connell continue to do what he was doing. Uh, and, you know, O'Connell had 14 points in the first half. He had six in the second, uh, ended up with 20 points. And, I, you know, Taj Edie started picking him up at half court started picking him up three quarters court and i think really got him tired and you know o'connell missed a bunch of shots down the stretch um you know i was i was impressed with with Jaden delaire from stanford i thought he played a terrific game with 10 of 16 from the field hit a couple big threes ended up with 22 points um you know, he, he played very well kind of in the, in the absence of Oscar De Silva, who was in and out of foul trouble all night. And to watch what SC did on him, uh, throwing, you know, the Mobleys at him, uh, Isaiah White played on him a little bit. Um, you know, they really frustrated him and they held him to nine points. I think that was the first game of his senior season where he didn't hit double digits and points. Mm-hmm. So defensively, I thought the Trojans really picked it up in the second half. Uh, they were able to get some turnovers. And in my opinion, one of the biggest uh, plays of the game was when Max Ogmanpolo stole the ball on the wing, took it down and dunked it. And I think that gave the Trojans the lead for good. I think that put them up at two. Stanford called a timeout as he had all the momentum and they kind of took it from there. And it's really that defense turning into offense that really propelled the Trojans to victory last night. Yeah. I think when, when Max puts together like his highlight reel of plays from this season, it's going to be like leading it is going to be like five plays basically just like that. Cause I feel like I've seen a few times from that where he, just like explodes into the passing lane and it helps that his arms are, he's got like Mr. Fantastic arms basically when he, when he gets out there in the passing lane and then he just explodes away from the defense and, and throws it down. And I certainly agree. I think that those, you know, I don't know if you can necessarily call them four point swings because 
it's not like a sure bet that Stanford would score on any like half court, half court possession or anything, but it is a huge momentum swing for sure to turn what was, you know, basically a normal offensive possession possession into a thunderous dunk. Cause that's how Max throws them down. Right. Yeah. So I, I certainly agree with that. And then I think the other big play that, um, shouldn't go unnoticed. And, and you, you sang Tajidi's praises on the defensive end was his uh, turnaround jumper, you know, basically in, in the last few minutes, I, I believe, that put USC up by four. It might have even been in the last minute. Uh, he, he, you know, kind of like took his man one on one, hit that little kind of like Kyrie kind of turnaround at the elbow and, and made a jumper. I think that put USC up four. To, yeah, it was either uh, three or four points. It, it, yeah. it, you're right. It, that was that was the biggest shot of the game was Tajidi's little little turnaround at at the end there. I think there was like 50 seconds left in the game or something like that. Um, and then Evan Mobley switching from his right hand to his left hand uh, to 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 kind of grab the lead there with about a minute and 10 seconds to go. That that was a pretty amazing play too. Um, and and I you know I have to give a lot of credit to Drew Peterson. You know, over the past few games, I feel like he's kind of faded a little bit um, hasn't really performed the way that he did in the beginning of the season and in the, in the, in, you know, the first few games of the PAC 12 conference, he really came alive down the end of the game. I uh, hit a big three in the corner, um, you know, made a strong drive uh, and a layup, hit his free throws at the end, played some good defense. He did all the things uh, at the end of the game that, that, you know, you, you want one of your starters and leaders to do. Um, and one of the key words I would say uh, that represented the Trojans in this game was resilience. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times did SC, you know, get within a point uh, and then Stanford would go on a 6-0 run or go up by one point and then Stanford goes on a 5-0 run? It just it happened so often that as soon as you thought the Trojans might, might push to get like a 3-4, 5-point lead, Stanford would come down and, and go on a short run of their own. And there have been SC teams in the past, and unfortunately recently, that when you see that happen, sometimes the team folds a little bit. Um, this team did not, and mm-hmm. and you know that's a testament to Enfield and the coaching staff uh, to get his team, you know, mentally strong and to be able to push through those obstacles when when your opponent goes on you know a little five nothing six nothing run when you've you know used up all that energy to get that lead or to get close to 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 you know getting that lead um to push forward and and you know to play that defense and to create those turnovers and to not get down uh when that team or your opponent uh you know continues to go on runs that that was impressive to see yeah, I, I think uh, just one more thing on, on Drew Peterson before we move on to the previous game that USC played is uh, I think he made a couple of shots during this game that kind of like you said, USC really needed. I, I remember there was a point when uh, I, I think Stanford was up maybe when maybe when they were up 10 in the first half and he he made a, a three, I think, off of an offensive rebound. And USC, it was like, like you said, one of the two three pointers that they made in the first half and I think that US, that was just a shot that USC really needed, right? And that's part mm-hmm. of the resilience is, you know, when the when the rest of the team is kind of struggling to make a shot, who is going to, to step up and kind of break that streak? Because that can be something that really derails a team. If, if they look around and nobody's making shots, it, it can kind of become a, a thing that 
in, in the heads of the players. And I think that he made a couple of shots like that. The, the corner three was it was another one in, in the second half. And then that strong drive, like you mentioned. So I think that was a, an important role that he kind of needed to play to to set up for, you know, Evan Mobley to have the big numbers and Taj Edi to, to make that shot at the end of the game. Now let's move on to Oregon State. Uh, the the game that USC played last week it was seventy five to sixty two USC at the Galen Center, uh, you know a, a, another kind of first half struggle. Though USC did enter the break up by three thirty to twenty seven, but then in, in the second half they kind of took off a little bit, ended up winning by thirteen. So Chris, do you think that this is kind of a sustainable model for USC to to be like, oh, we're gonna kind of like hang around with you in the first half, get our rhythm. And then by the time that the final 20 minutes hits, we're going to be kind of on our game and, and playing better. Not really. And, and, I, <laughs> and I really wish they could put two halves together. Right. Um, kind, it kind of reminds me a little bit of some of those uh, old Pete Carroll USC football teams where, you know, they wouldn't quite get up in the first half. And then, you know, they'd be down 10 or, you know, down a field goal in the first half. And then they'd end up winning by three or four touchdowns in the second half. Um, it, this team has a little bit of that. It's almost... It's almost like sometimes they they start the game too hot and they almost go up like eight nothing or ten to two or something like that and then they just they lose their focus right um, and it's usually the last you know three to four minutes of that first half where you know their opponent kind of gets a big lead on them um, and this Oregon State game you know it was very similar first half to. Uh, up in Corvallis where, you know, I thought SC kind of came out strong in the first minute or two. Um, and then Oregon state just kind of battled back, but you know, in the first half of this Oregon state game at the Galen center, SC didn't, uh, didn't let up the last three minutes. I think up in Corvallis, they didn't make a field goal in the last seven minutes of the first half. That's not the case here. And they actually went in with the lead. Um, and, and, you know, I think that helped them in the second half to win by 10 points in the second half, um, and to eventually get that 75 to 62 win, you know, when you play Oregon state, there are two things you have to do. And that's stop Ethan Thompson and stop Jared Lucas without those guys, Oregon state's nothing. Um, and they still played decently well. Uh, you know, Ethan Thompson ended up with 20 points and seven rebounds. Uh, Jared Lucas went four of six from the three point line. He had a pretty hot first half, um, and ended up with 18 points, but, you know, SC really did a great job on, you know, trying to shade those guys, not let them touch the ball and then, you know, make the rest of Oregon state try to make baskets and, and, you know, Oregon state just doesn't have the talent that USC does. And, you know, at the end of the day, SC ran away with the game as they should have. Um, but you know, one of the things that, that is concerning are, are the three point shoot are, are, you know, the three point percentage, um, you know, eight of 24, 33% against Oregon state. And then last night against Stanford, uh, it was pretty awful. It's four 17 for 23%. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, they have players that can shoot. I don't quite understand why they're not making their, they're getting good shots. Most of their threes are wide open. Um, you know, Noah Bauman, I, you know, I think he's one of the, the best shooters in the conference and, you know, he's going like one of three, one of four, um, you know, Tajidi went over four last night against Stanford. He did not shoot the three particularly well, well against Oregon state. Um, and these guys are getting good looks. I just, I, I can't quite figure out why they're not hitting them. Um, and you know, I think 
they've been doing a better job going into the post and being a little bit more active, swinging the ball from side to side, post entry, you know, kick out, repost, and and kind of playing through the middle of the paint instead of playing from the perimeter. But if they are going to beat a team like UCLA, who they play on Saturday, they're going to need to hit those outside shots and they're going to need to make their free throws. Yeah, I've seen I've seen big time improvement in how the offense does move the ball, especially when they are trying to feed, you know, like the Mobleys and, and Goodwin in the post. I think that the passing of that has really has really improved and, and gotten better. And there was a point when when they were struggling in, in you know previous games and the games that they've lost, especially. I thought that they they just really weren't able to get good shots when, you know, say Evan Mobley was double teams down in the post. And even at times they would run three guys at, at, at USC's big men because they are so much like bigger and longer than everyone down there. Um, but the the flip side of that is that, you know, if you're if you're going to be getting good shots like that, you do have to make them right. And yeah. I, I don't know if it's, uh, I, you know, I I certainly don't have your level of expertise on that. So I don't, I don't necessarily focus too much on why they aren't making those shots uh, so much as the fact that one, they are getting open shots and two right now they are winning games without needing to shoot well from three, which is always pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that this Oregon state game specifically, you know, it wasn't any, it wasn't any one guy for USC, right? It was, uh, Mobley was uh, Evan Mobley was their highest scorer with 14, although he did have 13 rebounds, which was really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other really good part for USC was they had 21 offensive rebounds, which I think is where you see the discrepancy of, oh, they shot 33% from three and 44.6% overall, but they scored 75 points, which is you know a pretty a pretty decent number. Uh, and even though they they had 15 turnovers as well, that I think that those extra shots probably ended up making a huge difference for them uh, against a smaller team in Oregon state. Totally agree. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I think that those are two good wins for, for USC, uh, especially considering that they had lost that really frustrating game to, to Oregon state previously, you know, not going to get too over the moon about beating a, a middle of the conference kind of team and a talented, but, team that's missing three of its best players like you said yeah. even though stanford has been kind of playing a little bit better almost without those guys um but you know i i still think it's encouraging to see usc come out of that stretch with uh, hey, a win's a win especially on the road so you know that uh, as much as you know we sometimes focus on stanford not having three of their better players you know that's a tough place to play. I I I never won at Maples Pavilion in my four years at SC. It's it's tough even without fans there. I don't know what it is. It's something about that atmosphere. Uh, Stanford's very tough to beat at home. Yeah, and now let's let's talk about what is probably the best team in the conference. And USC has a chance to kind of prove that they are on that level or above them. It's UCLA. It's the rivalry game. UCLA is ranked number 21 in the country and they will be playing USC on Saturday at Galen center. And, you know, I I think that the thing to kind of focus on with UCLA is that they don't have any sort of like really go-to guy. I would say they have four guys who are playing who are averaging double digits and then another who averages 9.3. So, you know, what kind of challenge is that for USC when you don't necessarily, you have all of these guys who who can hurt you and you can't necessarily focus too much on any one or two of them. 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is what LA basketball should be, right? Like, this is what the Pac-12 should always be: is number one versus number two. You know, the both the Southern California schools. Uh, it's great for recruiting. Uh, it's great to keep those, you know, those Southern California kids home and not having them go to Oregon or Arizona or anything like that. This is what this is what LA Pac-12 basketball is all about. So, first off, it's great for the conference and it's great for both these teams to be one and two. And this game will decide who in up in first place in the conference as we like hit the absolute midway point of the Pac-12 season. So that's very exciting. And you're right, you know, uh, UCLA, you would think they'd be down after their their best player Chris Smith goes down with an ACL injury, you know, 8 games into their season. Um but I mean they go 9, sometimes 10 deep and you know the emergence of some of these guys off the bench like Jalen Clark who's who's, you know, getting, you know, at the beginning of the year, he was getting three, four minutes a game. Now he's getting 14, 15 minutes a game. And he's one of their like defensive spark plugs. Um, you know, some games, you know, Jaime Jaquez, you know, we'll get you 22. Some days, you know, uh, Tyler, Tiger Campbell, um, their point guard will, will, you know, be hitting his three point shot and get you 18 points and, and five, 10 assists. Um, and you know, the Kentucky transfer, Johnny Juze, I mean, you saw him play against, uh, I think he had his big game against Stanford a couple of weeks ago where, you know, he put up almost 26, 27 points and, you know, he's just pure offense. And if he can get rolling, you better watch out. Um, and then you'll have a Jules Bernard that'll come off the bench, uh, and, and get you 10 points or, you know, David Singleton is one of the best shooters on the team. Like this team is just stacked. There are so many weapons and a different guy can get you every night. And, you know, Mick Cronin has these guys playing incredible defense offensively. He has them passing the ball very well. It looks like a team that's been together for six, seven years. I mean, they, they anticipate each other's moves. They're number one of the conference for a reason. Um, and SC is definitely going to have their hands full on Saturday. Yeah, I'll, I think the the part that I might be most interested in seeing is the chess match of how uh, the two coaches put out their lineups. You know, who's going to be playing at what times against two? Because uh, you know, you said UCLA is, is very deep, and USC is, is. These are probably the two deepest teams in the conference. I guess I would say we've talked a lot about how USC can go, you know, nine, ten deep, and 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 the same is true of UCLA, obviously. So you know this game could end up being decided by just who plays at what time against who. Um, and, and then also, you know, how, how does UCLA handle, I think, you know, how does UCLA handle the size and then especially Evan Mobley down there, right? Because he will be the best player in this game as he is, has been in every game that he has played this season. Uh, you know, how do you kind of see UCLA trying to match up with him and, and what can he kind of do to really leave his mark on this game? I think UCLA is just going to continue to throw Cody Riley and uh, Jalen Hill at Evan Mobley all game long. And those two guys are interchangeable. I mean, if you look at their stats side by side, uh, you know, the only difference is one guy starts and one guy comes off the bench. I mean, they're very interchangeable and they're both just going to be thrown at Evan Mobley all game long. Um, a couple things that I see about this game. Number one, how is SC going to be able to handle the defensive pressure of UCLA. That's 
always been one of my biggest concerns with SC is when an opponent really gets up into them and really pressures them defensively, how will they react? They need to be strong with the ball. Uh, they need to make good passes. They need to get into their offense early. Um, and they can't let that pressure, you know, get them out of their offensive sets. Um, and they can't let turnovers lead to easy buckets on the other end. Uh, that's going to be one of the biggest keys for me, uh, watching this game because you know Mick Cronin's going to say exactly what you know Tad Boyle at Colorado says which is uh you know get into these guys and they'll wilt um that's one of the, the biggest issues uh SC's had over the past you know five six years is offensive toughness when a strong defensive team uh, is hammering them all game long so I'm sure Enfield's going to get his guys uh mentally prepared for that but that's something that you're going to really have to watch for um I think free throws is going to be a big story in this game. SC is last in the conference in free throw percentage. If I'm UCLA, I'm not afraid of a Fallon Evan Moby, Mobley down low or Isaiah Mobley down low or you know, really trying to pressure the ball handler and putting some guys on the free throw line. Um, they have enough guys where they could rotate in if they get in some foul trouble, uh, but bad free throw shooting will allow the defense to get more aggressive and pressure as the game goes on. That makes me a little nervous and there are going to be shots. SC's going to dump the ball into the post. I would imagine UCLA is going to try to double Evan Mobley or Isaiah Mobley or Chavez Goodwin. And if the Trojans swing the ball properly out of that double team, they're going to get wide open shots and they need to make them. Yeah. And I think it's something that we've talked about previously uh, especially with Drew Peterson, but you need to be ready to shoot, right? You need to yeah. be, you know, in, in you have you have your knees bent, have your hands in, in the in the pocket, uh, facing towards the basket, have your feet aligned, be ready to shoot as soon as you catch that, because UCLA is not a team that is going to be slow closing out on you, right? They're not going to be sluggish with that. They're going to be, like you said, up in your jersey, up in your shirt for the entire game, and you need to you need to be ready to get that shot off quickly. Uh, I, I think that 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 three point shooting is, is going to be really important because UCLA is a good three point shooting team themselves. They shoot 37% and they also uh, limit teams to 31%. So that is, you know, when you look at these games, I mean, they're, they're winning a lot of their conference games outside of, I think like Washington state and Cal, it's been like all single digit games basically. So they are a team. You can look at that either as they don't really blow teams out. So maybe they're not as great as their record indicates and they get lucky because, you know, close games can often go either way or you can look at it as they are a team that knows how to win those close games and i think that usc can only approach it with the mindset of oh they know how to win close games so let's first off try to be better in the second half to, or better in the first half than we have been try to establish mm -hmm. a big lead on them and then second we need to match their ability at the end of the game exactly and tiger campbell for ucla you know he's he he's the point guard and he's the guy who who runs the show um, I'm going to, I, I really hope that Ethan Anderson will get some more time this game and really kind of muscle him up, uh, and try to turn him three quarters court, really, you know, disrupt UCLA from getting in their offensive sets early, uh, because if Tajidi's doing that all game, he's going to get tired and we're going to need him to shoot and make shots down the stretch. I'm really hoping to get a little bit more production out of Ethan Anderson, especially defensively on Tiger Campbell. Yeah, I, that was the other thing that I was going to say is it, when you have these games, like you said, where UCLA is going to be up in you, pressuring the ball, uh, really playing probably physical on, on ball handlers, especially. 
I, I can't, I think, overstate how important it is that Ethan Anderson uh, has had a few games under his belt back. I know that we said, you know, his minutes have been limited kind of in, in the last, especially, you know, in the last two games, I think. But um, he he did play a major role, I think, against against Oregon State. And yeah. he, he will need to have probably a similar game of, you know, making some shots here and there. I think he made a couple of huge threes against Oregon State. And then also, uh, like you said, being that kind of like bulldog defender, uh, getting up in, into into Tiger Campbell will be will be super important. And, and then also just kind of like providing that that toughness. You know, he is he is the guy I think that we've talked about on on this team that is, you know, built a little bit thicker, I guess, than the rest of the guys on the team and has that ability to play, you know, kind of. Uh, more, that more physical brand of basketball and, and be that guy. And it's not that the other guys can't do it, but they might need to see him do it to UCLA as they, as they are trying to give that same approach to the Trojans. Yeah. I mean, he's built like a running back. I <laughs> yeah. mean, if you look at him compared to like a Max Ogbon Polo, like they're, they're, they couldn't be more different in terms of like body types and you need to have kind of like a rough and tumble, uh, you know, defensive presence in there, especially on the perimeter. Um, it's, it, if you're looking to disrupt, you know, offensive set starting, you know, freely, um, you know, in the beginning of the shot clock, you, you really got to disrupt and push and, and, you know, get them uncomfortable early. So, you know, they're struggling to get a shot off, you know, with three or four seconds left on the shot clock rather than an open three with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah, agreed. I think that the the last main thing that I wanted to talk about with this was uh, going back to what you said. This is going to be, I think, kind of a gut check kind of game for both of these teams, right? I think a lot of people see, oh, it's Southern California, it's LA. This is like a, a glitz and glamour game, but that's not how these two teams necessarily really play, right? Uh, we all know USC is one of the best defensive teams in the country. They they run through their big men. They are stifling at the rim and, and and they tried to kind of like funnel everything there and, and, and play through that. And then they also are, you know, at, at times very dominant on the glass. And like we said, you know, hitting the offensive glass, winning the rebounding margin by, you know, 15 rebounds in a game or something like that. Uh, getting to the free throw line a whole ton, even though they don't shoot the ball particularly well when they get there. That's kind of similar to how UCLA is, right? They're certainly better from the free throw line than USC is but they get there almost five times more per game than their opponents. And then they also have a 6.4 uh, rebounding margin per game. So UCLA, UCLA is another team like USC that wants to try to beat you up, uh, you know, get to the line, get you in foul trouble and, and, and use kind of like their physical dominance, I guess I would say. And so how do you see that matchup kind of playing out? Do you think that uh, either team can really win that part of the battle enough that they can, that they can separate how they usually want to? I think at the end of the day, if you look at which team has more rebounds, has more assists, and makes more free throws than the other team, that team will win the game. That's that's bottom line when you have two tough-nosed, you know, defensive-focused teams playing against each other. Those are the three stat lines you're going to want to look at. And if you're SC, you're looking at it going, you know, this this could be one of the last times for. A, a, a win against a ranked opponent because then they go on the road and they play the Washington schools who are nowhere close to ranked. Uh, and then they have, you know, Arizona, Arizona state uh, coming in. Uh, they have Stanford, which will be a good tough rematch. 
Um, and then they, you know, and then they have three really tough games on the road at Colorado, which will be a good quad one win, Utah, and then at UCLA. So there, there aren't many opportunities for those big wins that the tournament selection committee are going to look at and go, you know, that's why they should be in the tournament. So that's why this is also very important because if you get this win, you're almost solidified in the tournament as long as you take care of business with the rest of the teams that you should be in the conference. Yeah, and I think just the, the very last thing that, that I'll say on this is uh, I've seen a lot of USC fans on Twitter complaining that the, that the team hasn't been ranked yet despite the record. I think that what you have said is kind of the big point is they don't have those kind of major wins over very good teams. Mm-hmm. This is the one ranked team in the Pac-12 right now. So if you beat UCLA, and I think they're on the fringes of being ranked in the top 25 right now, USC is, if they win this game, they are in the top 25. So Agreed. We will, you know, we will see how, how it happens. This will probably be this and the other UCLA game are probably the two biggest games of the season for USC. So uh, very important stuff for them. That is going to do it for today's show. Thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, before we move on here, Chris, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on social? Yeah, you can find me at uh, C Penrose, number one, number zero on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at A-I-D-A-N-B-E-R-G underscore. Uh, You can also find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much everywhere else that podcasts exist. Make sure you check out the rest of uh, the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, Thanks again to everyone for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Fight on. Fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.